You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever looked up at the stars and wondered how big the universe is and if you had any significance in it? Well, then you've discovered the right podcast for you. Today, we are discussing the long-awaited blockbuster movie, Dune. Uh, This episode is for uh, everyone. Welcome to Systematic Ecology, Episode 8, Dune. We are the priests to the geeks. We're not all ordained priests, but you know what? We are what the biblical calls priests, as in mediators between pop culture and those things that we're passionate about and geek out on. So again, just a reminder, this is not a bait and switch. This is not some trap. Uh, This is not a Trojan horse. This is authentic geeks. I am Will Rose. I'm a Lutheran pastor in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I'm really excited about being able to talk about this movie and and science fiction with you all. And, And one thing that I've been geeking out on in preparation for this podcast is is really thinking deeper about science fiction and its significance in our culture and how long it's been around and the questions that it raises for uh, people and communities and people of faith. And so, man, I've just been geeking out. Well, hey, everyone. I'm Brandon Knight. I am many things to many people, but guys, uh, this coming spring, I get to add dad onto my list of responsibilities. My what? wife and I are expecting our first child. We're very excited. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and for some reason, when my wife and I went and saw Venom 2, uh, we saw a trailer <laughs> for Dune. And for some reason, after the trailer went off, I really wanted to watch John Carter, you know, the Disney movie. I think it's a great yeah. movie. I think it's really underrated. So I watched that this past mm. week and had a great time again good movie yeah uh no the john carter books are fantastic uh check them all out they're all pretty short but i'm tj blackwell uh i am just a guy really just a dude (laughs) on this podcast and uh recently i've really been geeking out on one piece uh just like for the past 22 years uh because it's getting really exciting again just like for the past 22 years so (laughs) Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's only 1,029 chapters long. Uh, episode 1,000 comes out next week. That's pretty awesome. When something has that sense of longevity, you got to you gotta check it out if it's got that kind oh, yeah. of fan base. It's true. Well, cool. Where's time for today's subject? We're going to talk about Dune. Uh, before we talk about this pretty big expensive movie that hit the theaters this past weekend. I want to set a little bit of the the background and context of what this movie count of. It's not just a movie, uh, but it was a book first with a big following. TJ Brandon, uh, what was your history with Dune before this movie came out this past weekend? Nothing. Um, so for me, I think I'm coming in as the complete novice on this. I, I've never read okay, the book. Cool. I I haven't seen the movie. I know it's kind of a love it or hate it. The previous movie, the one starring Kyle right. McLaughlin, who's one of my favorite yeah, actors. Eighty four. He's one of my favorite yeah. actors. So I plan on getting around to seeing it at some point. Um, I knew that there was something about spice and that it may be a drug, just like in Star Wars. Um, I knew the book was ginormous, <laughs> and that's really it. So I'm coming in with like no knowledge whatsoever. But I would I was hoping for a good film. OK, 
Good. Well, I'm looking forward to hear what you think about the movie from that angle because that's pretty cool. TJ, what about you? Yeah, so I first heard of Dune uh, on an old social media app called iFunny, uh, which is just horrible. <laughs> awful, about that. Uh, in high school. And uh, I had just stumbled onto a couple of people's pages where they were like role playing as characters from Dune. And I was so lost. I just had to know what they were talking about. Uh, so I read the first book and I, you know, I, it's a great book. I could not continue and read the other 16. Uh, and uh, I, I did watch the 1984 David Lynch movie, uh, which I love. I think it's so fun to watch. Uh, but you know, not everyone feels that way. Yeah. So you were familiar with this world and universe before going into the movie that came out, uh, recently. Yeah. I, I knew of, um, you know, I was a kid when the 1984, uh, Dune movie came out. I just remember that sting, uh, the musician sting was in it and that it was coming off the heels of like being, being like a big star Wars fan. It was like another big sci-fi movie I never saw it in the theater, but I just remember it having such a big hype. And then before kind of getting into this present movie and the book, I went back and, and watched that movie. And for me, it it's so quirky and so bad that it's good. Like it, it like it's something about it that is hypnotizing. And Those like, are my oh, favorite my gosh, movies. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, but before it was a movie in 1984, it was a, it was a book by Frank Herbert in 1965. It's a huge universe. It's an 800-page book with four appendixes as a minister who um, preaches from uh, a sacred text every Sunday where a story that, that guides our lives. You know, I, I encourage you that if you like this movie, you like this genre, to check out the book and, and dive in and go to the original source text before, before you jump into other stuff. It'll make, it'll make a difference. Uh, this world is set like 10,000 years in the future. Uh, there's a big lore of a history between humans and space travel and empires and space guilds. And uh, even there's, they don't explain it much to me, we can get to that a little bit, but there was even at some point this kind of jihad among robots and AI with humans, which talks about which, you know, why were they fighting with knives and swords in this movie? Why were there not like a ton of computers and robots mm -hmm. running around? Well, well, there's a reason humans don't yeah. trust uh, thinking machines is what they call them. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. That's right. All right. This thing was a big budget film with a lot of big time actors. I think Thanos was in this thing. Yeah. Guy, Josh Brolin was. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know Josh Bo Brolin was Bo in Poe Dameron. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Poe Dameron. Oh, you talked about Aquaman. Was in it. Aquaman. Aquaman's in it. Drax thing. was in it. Um, Drax was yeah. in it. I mean, it just keeps going. Like, we're just merging everything together. So it's a big budget, big film, long-awaited. COVID put it on hiatus there for a little while, but it finally hit the screen, and here here we are. So, so yeah, hot takes. Brandon, uh, you're what, the one coming in to this movie, not really familiar with this universe. How did it hold up? What are you – what are you hot, hot takes sure. for this movie? Uh, so I'll run down a couple. Uh, beautifully shot. It, I loved all these wide angles we got of the terrain, the landscape, beautifully shot film. Score was amazing. Hans Zimmer. I mean, moving mm -hmm. on. Um, good cast. We already covered that. Uh, I'm a martial artist. I don't know if that's ever come up. 
and so oh, I cool. enjoy watching films and analyzing fight choreography because yeah. it used to be really good how they used to shot films and now they shoot it high and tight. So that way you can't tell mm-hmm. that stuntmen are doing the scenes. And I thought the choreography for these fights were so well done. I was really invested. I could tell what was going on. You could see Josh Brolin doing the fight. Like it, it was very well shot. My my one like negative towards this is that if you're going to make a really long movie, you got to keep me in the whole time. I'm one of those people yeah. who's like hour and a half, two hours tops, cut it. But yeah, that was my only thing is that I thought it was a little long. I would have cut it a little bit earlier than where they ended the film at. But overall, I it held my attention, I, especially early on trying to get into the lore. I, I thought the pacing was really good that I wasn't like completely lost. I don't know what's going on, but I was gradually like understanding like the houses and the political scenery and all that. Nice. Yeah. TJ, how about you? All right. So uh, I think Dune is a great movie, both of them. Uh, (laughs) I do think uh, it loses something uh, because of uh, Denis Villanueva's insistence on visual storytelling. The movie is gorgeous. I could probably just keep it running in the background forever and never get tired of just looking at it sometimes. Uh, But Dune is such a complex, dense story that we need extra information. Like as much as I hate exposition, uh, if you're trying to get new people into the franchise, uh, that extra exposition goes a long way. Like uh, that's something the David Lynch version of Dune does uh, a little better with the inner monologue he has. Right. Uh, and, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which honestly is probably the only thing that's actually, I think better about David Lynch's Dune, uh, <laughs> just, you know, from a technical standpoint. Uh, but I, I did really enjoy the movie. It is gorgeous. I think the contrast for the scene with the sandworm about to eat Paul and Lady Jessica should have been a, a little sharper. It was kind of hard mm-hmm. to see in the theater, but that's okay. Cause I knew what the picture looked like anyway. Uh, <laughs> There was a lot of dark scenes that made it difficult to see what was mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, and this director, he the same he he's the same director for uh Blade Runner 2049 and he's also uh the director for Arrival, which are mm-hmm. both those movies are are great gorgeous sci-fi movies. Arrival oh, yeah. is it's just an incredible moving science fiction uh story that that will pull on on all your emotions um and it's it's really good so you could tell that's just his style with this movie yeah um, uh, yeah i do recommend checking out his other work uh like arrival blade runner 2049 prisoner a uh, whole bunch of stuff everything he shoots is gorgeous uh, yeah. Hans zimmer incredible uh heavily underappreciated as a composer and you know i think most people generally agree he's like top three and i still think he's underappreciated hans zimmer as just (laughs) incredible uh kung fu panda how to train your dragon interstellar dune i like how you let off with kung fu panda i appreciate that kung fu panda is the best of those four that i mentioned Uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. Yeah, Hans Zimmer um, composed his heart out. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I'm with you. Like it was, it was captivating. It was beautiful. Um, it was holding my attention. And, and that's uh, if you're pulling me into the world and I'm mesmerized and my imagination goes to all kinds of places and asks lots of questions, then that's, that's what good sci-fi does. I, I will say that, yeah, the, um, the, the 1984 David Lynch movie, like the, the inner monologue, to be able to hear what they're thinking. It does that in the book too. Like the mm -hmm. book will, you start reading dialogue and all of a sudden it's like paragraphs of italic kind of thing. And, you, and that's really their like thought bubbles that you're listening, hearing them uh, think, you know? And so, uh, that not being in this movie, it, it could have, yeah, it could have used a little bit more conversation or explaining her was that mm -hmm. I'm with you. This whole movie about, about power and control and a precious resource that everyone's vying for. And who's, what are you going to do with that? Once you, once you get it, uh, are you going to exploit it or are you going to share it? Uh, Herbert's idea of, of environmentalism and, and even colonialism of how do we greet the alien or the other from another planet are some of the big questions that, that he was teasing out in this, in this monster of a, of a book. And so, um, yeah, what are, what are some other questions or big questions that you feel like this, this movie or story is trying to ask or challenge its viewers with? I have a general question on Dune before sure. we hit that. Is the sign yeah. language thing part of the book or were they using that to try and replace the internal monologue stuff a little bit? I was curious. That's uh, a great question. They do have, I think it is mentioned that they, they use hand signals. Okay. Uh, the Bene Gesserit at least use hand signals. I'm pretty okay. sure in the book, cool. not positive. Yeah. Okay. But. Yeah, that's a good replacement. That's a great question. Like, I think it does. It allows them to communicate and see what's going on with the subtitles other than just kind of speaking. They had their own inside language to help guide them and lead them. And I thought they had filmed the second one right along to it that maybe next year that part two would come out, but they, they haven't. And so they're waiting to see if this does well and if it's worth it to make the second one. So I hope this isn't the last. If it doesn't do well and people, you know, trash it or whatever, then they may be like, nope. But I think people care enough about this story and about this, this movie and the people that are in it that I'm hoping that they can make part two. Cause I want to see how this thing, and, and that 1984 David Lynch film, you know, the first half of that movie is pretty, goes along great with the book. And then it gets the second half. And then there's just these vignettes of, of short little edits of what happens over the course of like the next, you know, five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what is going on right now? And they're just <laughs> showing you little glimpses. They're like, we got to get done with this book. Let's hurry up. Uh, is what it seemed like. We got to fit this all in, but I'm, I'm glad they didn't try to fit it on, but they were like, no, there's going to be a part two. Hopefully if it does well, that's kind of uh, surprising the and they can make one. That's kind of surprising that they're waiting to see. Cause I, know. I was like, dude, you got people in costume. You're in the desert. Just go ahead. And yeah. What else you got to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause anymore, it's just like, Hey, it doesn't even matter how financially well it did. We already got four more films planned. So let's just go ahead and do them anyway. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Dune really is the kind of story that would benefit greatly from being a, a series. Yeah, I think they tried. I think they tried. They did to try. They to, yeah. Which I didn't watch, but I have not heard good things. Yeah, I'm with you. And I would just say, I'm going to give this one extra point of ratings, uh, extra positive point, just from the like the dragonfly ships 
what <laughs> i the, my favorite insect in the world is the dragonfly <laughs> and like the fact they made an entire like helicopter spaceship thing out of it that can fold its wings down and like dive super fat like oh my gosh yeah. that was so cool and that's a part of the book too they describe these kind of insect like fluttering mm. ships or helicopters that can float around but to see that on the screen of of these dragonfly helicopter ship things were so yeah. awesome yeah they are that. awesome that was one thing that my wife and i actually disagreed on because i liked the design for like the dragonfly ship or the big circle one that like the priestess initially showed up on she didn't really care for the mm -hmm. design of the ships and other things but i thought they were really right. cool i thought it made a lot of sense again this like simplistic it's still sci-fi but it's very simple sci-fi yeah right it's it's like if we, as the human race here on Earth, had decided to base our planes off of dragonflies instead of birds. <laughs> I seen a lot of sci-fi and a lot of Star Wars, a lot of Star Trek, a lot of different things. You're like, wow, you're you want to see what the spaceship design is? This being so simple or rounded or a little bit more curved or rustic uh, really drew me into the story into a different universe. I knew I was in a different universe mm -hmm. altogether. I wasn't in just like a normal Buck Rogers or, or Star Wars kind of like show or Battlestar Galacta. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, is it was a whole new mm -hmm. world that I was in that I was like, okay, I want to get to know this world. Right. Uh, one more thing that I just absolutely love about the series as a whole, but especially, this new dune movie is their shields that yeah. was done oh, that so was cool. well that was done so incredibly well and it's not easy to do david lynch didn't do a great job at it uh pretty sure the series yeah. didn't either uh, right. but the way they did it was awesome and it's so cool to see like it you know like the hexagon pattern where it's failing and the red like fuzzing out of existence like tv static uh, and they did a really good job of showing why certain things get through it, uh, like the rocket-propelled darts. Uh, yeah. Look out Oscar Isaac, whatever his character's name was, Lord Atreides. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Duke. The Duke. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I wonder too. Is like, why aren't they just using lasers or guns or something to kind of cut through these shields? But evidently, again, a sentence or two would have helped with this. But you know, fast objects can't get through it, mm -hmm. but really slow ones can. And so, um, why, that's why they're using knives and swords to battle, and not like laser guns or or whatever or bullets uh, to get through the shield. They have these shields, and so the technology lends itself into using more hand to hand combat with knives and swords and daggers and things like that. Um, yeah. it's it's yeah, the I best agree. explanation for why an advanced society is still using these things I think that yep. exists what other what other big questions is, is the movie challenge us to ask uh, and, and what, what came to mind for you guys uh, so the question I feel like we're supposed to ask is uh, are they doing a noble thing like is right trying to make peace with uh, with them with actually good or should they just abandon Arrakis or you know join the Fremen to fight the Empire which would go poorly <laughs> uh, but it seems like that's kind of what they wanted us to ask uh, yeah 
Okay. Yeah, I think I think the book lends itself to that too. It's like, all right, there's a subtext of colonialism or meeting the alien or the other, and you just whether you're going to another country to meet them for the first time or another planet, what's the difference? You know, mm-hmm. you're you're meeting this these people, and how do we treat them? How do they treat? How do we understand each other culture? You saw that scene where he, the the guy spits on the desk, and they're like. They're like, whoa, getting ready to the dishonor. We're going to stab you because you just dis-. And they're like, no, 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 no. They're sharing. There's no fluid on this planet. He's sharing his fluid. This is a sacred thing. Like, oh, and then they all start spitting. So these cultural differences, before you jump to conclusions, you, you, let's, let's, let's figure out and learn, learn each other and know each other first before you just assume that, that uh, uh, you're dishonoring me. Mm-hmm. Which that was a very funny scene. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah everyone you know, laughed. <laughs> Yeah. It was a heavy movie with heavy song and a lot of slow motion turns to the camera. And it was nice to see that levity with, uh, with that. And, and some of, uh, was it Duncan, the, um, character yeah. it seemed like he, he had a lightness or levity to himself mm. that could that brought to the film, even though he was serious, he was a good warrior. He brought that sense of levity to the, to the screen. That, yeah. that was good. Duncan, Idaho. Yeah. Great name. Yeah. yeah it really, really is. <laughs> Paul, like, uh, did he hold up for you guys in terms of a good protagonist or a leader or someone who could be seen as the one who bridges the one between the two who, you know, people when they encounter him and and he's kind of, there's a little bit of like a leadership flex. People are starting to quote even their sacred texts around him and attaching it to his identity. Um, and, And he's embracing that or wondering what that means. He's having these dreams. He's seen the past, the present, what's going on. Did he hold up for you as as a character of being the one? Right. I found it all very fascinating because normally the Messiah character is always portrayed as like this. They don't know until the thing happens and now they're, oh, I'm the chosen one. And they accept it right away and they move forward. Paul is very reluctant, at least early on the way that i was taking it because they have that scene when they first get on the planet and you know they have all the the locals are like chanting for him using the term that they have for messiah and they get in the helicopter and he says something to the effect of um they're believing what they were told to believe or they're seeing me the way that they were told to see me so on the one hand like i was definitely getting like this Jesus Christ Messiah-esque one character from him. But on the other hand, I was getting like a little bit of a slant of against religion of like people believe what they are told to believe. So I don't I don't know what you guys think about that, but that was a little bit of the tension I was feeling in this character early on. Yeah. And maybe perhaps, I mean, that's, it's probably both and it's not necessarily either or, but yeah, there's, there's both there of like this, this guy who's meant to be something in that trope of John Carter or Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers. He's definitely mm-hmm. out of that era. Paul is uh, Luke Skywalker, this, you know, white mm-hmm. savior coming in to do whatever they're, sure. they're doing. But, but that tension now on the line of, of, yeah, what is, what is religion? What is, what is myth? What, are, what is superstition? What is real? What are they attaching meaning to this story? their own story or, or Paul's story. I think it can be both. And that tension is really where we're called to be. And when we're watching this movie to really, again, hold up that mirror to, to allow us to ask those questions about where we attach meaning, where, what do we wrap our own story around other stories? What is, what are, what are some 
you know, things that can be stripped away or deconstructed and what can be reconstructed or what's helpful uh, for us too. Right. I think Frank Herbert really likes to write both sides of an issue that mm-hmm. you know, he writes about. I think he does a really good job at it because a lot of people can't tell he's doing it, uh, <laughs> which, you know, is usually a good sign for that kind of thing. Uh, I think it's really interesting to watch Paul and I got to say, Timothy Chalamet really impressed me. I did not think he was going to do a great job. Uh, but yeah. he, he did. He did a great job as Paul. Uh, I don't think we're really supposed to like Paul like that. Uh, I think, right. you know, he's a, he's a good character. He's a well-written character uh, because, you know, most people don't know if they should like him or not because, you know, he starts buying into his own Bene Gesserit, you know, scheme mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. you know, oh, wait, no, they're right. I am the chosen one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they bred me for this. And uh, it's just, it's really, I like Paul. Yeah, I think. <laughs> good. Paul, good. good character. Yeah. There's a quote in there when um, the Duke uh, looks to Paul and he starts talking about leadership, whether he wants this or not, and whether he's ready for it. But he says, a, a great man does not seek to lead. They are called to it. And so for me, that kind of set the tone in terms of are those who seek political power, those who seek and, and draw out, whether it's even in my own kind of denomination of faith, those who really seek to be bishop or seek to be a pastor, uh, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be a little suspect if you really want this thing. It's, it's something that you should be more nervous and and scared about and something that you're called into, uh, whether that is it's that Moses call of like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know. I think I can do this. And then you're like, no, I'm calling you into this because I'm going to equip you along the way. And then we see later on, Paul is, has been trained and he's a, he's able to handle himself and, and all kinds of things. But, but I think that's a good lesson for us too, as we're watching this, that, you know, as we're, I, I think the author wanted us to really think through who are the leaders that we're following? What is the political persuasions that we're lured into or uh, tempted to, to follow in after? Um, and then really what is a true leader? Um, and, and those who seek it or abuse it or those who, who are called into it as, as kind of the servant leaders uh, for a people. Which, you know, is pretty common in the churches. I feel like Uh, I've heard quite a few, you know, bishops in our church say, I never really wanted to be a bishop, but they (laughs) asked about a hundred times and I eventually had to say yes. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Cool stuff. Uh, all right, rankings. You, you want to rank one to five or one to ten? What What do you like to do? I like ten. I feel like I, right. I try to use decimals too much when we do out of five. Okay. All right, rankings, one to ten. What you got? I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. I, I do think the pacing could have been a little better. Uh could have been more dynamic i think the inner monologue you know lack thereof kind of hurt that a little bit if it still had the inner monologue i would have definitely given it a nine maybe even a ten yeah Uh, but movie's gorgeous simple as great watch i'm brandon i'm gonna go with a seven again you kind of lost me on the length 
I think if this would have been a little bit shorter, I could have been up there with an eight. But overall, really enjoyed it. It's worth the money to go see in theaters. If it's safe to go see it in theaters where you are at. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm and I'm going to meet you guys right in between. I'm going to use a decimal oh. just because TJ is like challenged. I'm going to do 7.5. And I would have given a seven, but, you know, uh, Dragonfly ships. Come on. <laughs> what are you Actually, doing? 7.5. And and I probably would have given a little bit more if it had some explanation. I, I was more familiar with the universe, and but I did want to see a little bit more. But yeah, this is also a movie on the more positive side that I want to watch again uh, to see what other details. And, and yeah, because of its beauty. And, and see it again in the theater. It's on HBO Max. You can see it if you have that uh, uh, subscription streaming service, but uh, I, I think I want to see it in the movie theater again. Just now that I've seen it and know where it, where it's going and headed, I can let go of my baggage or my expectations and just look at the beauty of it. So uh, yeah, so it sounds like we recommend the movie, and it asks great questions and challenges a lot of things. So in terms of the sci-fi genre and how it intersects with our worldview and philosophy and theology, it, it's. It does its job for for sure. We're gonna bring in some scripture as I think about sci-fi. I wanna wanna share one of my favorite verses, and it's from Psalm eight, uh, verse three. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, and what you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than a god, crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion. Over the works of your hands, you put under their feet sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, and even perhaps spice or oil or whatever resource <laughs> you want to put in there. They, God has put a dominion over it. So yeah, that, that psalm for me is always, as a stargazer, as someone who loves science, as someone who loves cosmology, this psalm really connects to that for me, that we look at the heavens and, and we look at those stars and ask, man, what is this all about? And what is my, my place in it? Uh, John 3.16. I don't know if you guys have heard that one before. You guys familiar with that one? Yeah. Uh, it says, for God so loved the world that God gave God's only son. And, but I, interesting part, if you look at the Greek, the word used for world, the Greek is cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos. So not just our own planet, but it can be a word that means all in existence, all of creation. So when we look past, and perhaps there is life on other planets, God loves the entire cosmos. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I love that aspect of the Greek yeah. what it talks about there. Yeah. How mad do you think they would be when they found out we got Jesus? Right. <laughs> like they well, have man, they come, yeah. Or they come around and they're like, yeah, we, we have this Christ figure who like, you know, was put to death by the state. And uh, executed, and as a site, we're like, "What? Yeah. What's going on there?" Yeah, yeah, it could be either way. A lot of good theological, and the Catholics are good at this—the uh, kind of astrobiology, mm -hmm. cosmology, thinking about aliens and what that would mean to the incarnation of the theology. It's there's there's a lot of good resources and books out there that hmm. that explore that topic. And there's a lot of unbelievers who be like, "Yep, we if we if they're aliens, that's going to put you know, Christianity, you know." just kind of kick you to the curb. And we're like, no, no, there's a lot of good people who've thought through those questions mm, yeah. and, and a lot of good, healthier responses when it comes yeah. to it. I think uh, my favorite version of that is people, you know, bringing up the big bang theory as opposed to creationism. Like, do you know who came up with the, the big bang theory? There's a beginning. It was a Catholic, right. it was a Catholic priest. <laughs> right. It was exactly, it was exactly, it was a Catholic scientist. who's like, look, 
we can pinpoint it. Good, good stuff. And then one last verse from Leviticus. Yes, Leviticus, you would think. <laughs> uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 33 and 34. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so sci-fi holds up this sense of how do we respond to the other, to the alien. And there in the beginning of Israel's story, God is reminding the Israelites, look, remember where you came from and what should your posture be against those who are foreigners or alien, whether they're across the river, across the tracks, in another neighborhood, or perhaps in another galaxy. Uh, here, scripture tells us what our, what our posture should be towards the other, towards the alien. Yeah, good stuff. All right, guys. Um, let's wrap up. What are some recommendations? What are some things that uh, you, for our geeks out there, things that you would recommend to watch or read or dive into? All right. So I, I do have to recommend One Piece. I'm not contractually obligated to do so. But I know. I are they a sponsor for this uh, yeah, yeah. systematic gallery? We should uh, look into that. Morally, I am obligated to <laughs> recommend it. Uh, <laughs> But uh, to stay on topic, uh, I recommend everyone go read To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. Uh, It is a new book that came out last year uh, by Christopher Paolini. It is so good. Uh, So few things are actually original these days. Mm -hmm. And I feel Mm -hmm. like there's just enough originality in To Sleep in a Sea of Stars to push it through to, you know, something that could be great if more Mm -hmm. people found it. And, uh, you know, the things that aren't so original, he works in really well. Uh, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of someone called Venom. Uh, <laughs> not saying she has a symbiote, but mm-hmm. it is it is pretty much a symbiote. But it's an awesome read. I loved it. I couldn't put it down. Nice. Uh, I'm going to circle back to what I've been geeking out lately on and say, go watch John Carter. Because... Uh, ironically, John Carter does touch on this whole dealing with the other. So it's a little bit more on the nose than like Dune was, but it's it's definitely worth the watch. I think it's underappreciated. Nice. Good. Good. Well, you know, if you're going to, I'm going to recommend two books. Uh, James McGrath, he's a New Testament professor at Butler in Indianapolis, and he wrote a book called Theology and Science Fiction. Uh, it's a short little book. It's not as long as Dune. It's very, uh, it's a good, good read, uh, easy read, talking about theology and science fiction. James McGrath is a great uh, follow on Twitter as well. Uh, and then the book I mentioned earlier, Becoming Alien, The Beginning and end of evil in science fiction's most idiosyncratic film franchise by Sarah Welch Larson. She's a good follow on That's quite the uh, name. Twitter as well. It is, but it, it dissects and goes into the alien franchise yeah. on the think Christian podcast and has a good Twitter account. So yeah, I would, hmm. I would follow her. And then if you're going to go in the sci-fi, I got a name drop um, Octavia Butler. If you've ever heard of Octavia Butler, she is a, African-American sci-fi writer from like the eighties and the nineties, um, you know, talk about centering voices. We don't hear much in terms of the science fiction world An African-American female mm. author who is writing about race and science fiction. And, uh, um, it's not necessarily a Christian piece of work, but you can pull out what it means for our faith and, mm. uh, those kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, I, I recommend if you want to 
go down that road. Uh, if you have any questions about that, let us know. TJ, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm not very active on social media. You can follow me on Instagram personally at uh, Destiny. Uh, if you start typing in, you might find it. It'll be a lot easier to go to the Whole Church Podcast Instagram account, yeah. also mm-hmm. Facebook. Also, check us out on Spotify or wherever you listen to your high-quality po- podcasts <laughs> to hear some church unity jibber-jabber with uh, my good friend, co-host Joshua Knoll. Uh, we'd be glad to have you over there. Yeah, and then while you're there, go to systematicecology.com, our website. If there are topics, if there are um, issues, uh, questions, things you have that you want us to uh, uh, talk about or um, explore, uh, let us know. There's also a Patreon page for uh, Systematic Ecology as well, so go go visit that and support us there. Brandon, where can people find you? Yeah, you can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at just.brandon.k. I also have my own podcast called My Seminary Life, where I talk about the things that I'm studying in seminary right now. Just started a class on discipleship, and it's a lot very interesting, really deconstructing the idea of discipleship. Um, And you can find that show wherever you get your high quality podcasts as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod. There you go. And I'm Will Rose. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well. And also, if you go to systematicecology.com, there's a list and a link for hosts. You can go down and find the host and feel free to to reach out, send us some questions. If if we said something that you're like, nope, I don't believe it. I need to challenge you on that. Bring it. (laughs) Oh, cool. I love those kind of questions. Or like, hey, uh, I want to know more about that or or you have a book suggestion. I'd be happy to... um, happy to talk to you about those things and say uh yeah we're getting close to halloween y'all and so the next episode next week will be what can we learn about our faith from horror films with host brandon and joe so looking forward to that uh and then remember remember that we're all a chosen people a geekdom of priests This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.